0: the Bible. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. We're, we're learning our books, books of the Bible as we go. Matthew chapter, I mean Micah. <laughs> uh, I, I got confused giving you the al- alternate route to get there. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. We're going to talk about a life of goodness tonight. And the verse reads, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Amen. To do justly. Where? We're starting and we're stopping right there tonight. And we're going to call that a life of goodness. A life of really doing good. You know, the Christian would say a life of goodness. Those in the world might say living the good life. You know, the, people say that all the time. When you ask, when you ask somebody what, how they're doing out and about and they say living the good life. I, I, never, I never believe them. <laughs> I just don't. Uh, it's, it's hard to sell me on that one, you know. Some people think living the good life would be related to a bumper sticker that I saw years ago. He who dies with the most toys wins. That, that person thinks they're living the good life. You know, but, but living the good life for others might not be about good toys. It might just simply be uh, a good feeling. If it feels good, do it. Some people think they're living the good life. They are living it up. If they are doing what they feel like doing, no matter matter if it's good or bad, they do what they feel like doing, and it's living the good life. And then others, it's all about looking good. Looking good is living the good life. You know, I I think we ought to keep up with our appearance. I think we ought to do well with that. But don't you know people are going to extreme with it today? I mean, I mean some people when they when they wake up compared to when they leave the house, they look like a completely different person. And they want to. You know, and don't get me wrong, there's there's nothing wrong with with makeup. A a, a lot of men would say amen to that, you know. Nothing wrong with some of that. But people go to extremes with that today. Like that's where they're going to find the good life. A satisfied life is just in looking good. But we're going to talk about a true life of goodness tonight. And we're kind of going to go around the world to get there. So bear with me as we go. We're going to have some highs and we're going to have some lows here. Look, this morning we learned that we we are disciplined, and we were taught it in such a way that made us like it. I don't know about you, but I did, and and so the lows might get lows tonight. Okay. I, I, I don't have that art about me, but, but we're going to share some truth. And we're going to share the truth about a life of goodness and our ability and lack of ability to have a life of goodness. But first of all, what we all know that a life of goodness, it's not going to be about the machine that we drive. It's not going to be about the makeup that we use for disguise. It's not going to be about the money that we're able to drop but a moral character in our lives. Something that the Lord requires of His people. He requires of you and I that we do justly. Look, that's not about having. That's not about looking. That's not about a feeling at all. But it's about something that we're going to be. We'll be good. We have the ability... In the Lord to be good and to do good. I mean, he wouldn't require it if we weren't able to get there. So let's get there tonight to a true life of goodness. You know, if we want to understand a life of goodness approved by God and according to God, it's going to be found right here. We can just look at this word and meditate on this all night long to do justly. It's what the Lord requires of you and I that we do justly. We're going to, with the Lord's help. Divinely define good and goodness tonight so that we can know what the real good life is and what it consists of to do justly. It's, it's a moral thing. It's a moral thing that the Lord's requiring of us and, and a ministry thing to live and to do what he calls us to do. To be good. I've worked with teenagers for several years now and loved it. And to sum up what many might say about this. Or what many have said indirectly that I've gathered from people through the years. It would be, well, Brother Kenneth, it just doesn't pay to be good. The girls might say, if I'm too good, I can't get a date, Brother Kenneth. The guys might say, if I'm too good, I just won't be able to be popular. The businessman might say, look, if I'm too good, then I'm not going to be able to keep up with the competition in this world. And I'm going to go under. But the truth is, it really pays to be good. And I would like for you and I just to consider a few thoughts on that as we get started, how it does pay to be good. It pays to be good with peace. I mean, peace is a very, very important thing and an inner goodness that we can get, that we can have, will give you and I an inner peace. You know, that's what we need within. Some people aren't concerned about what's within because they can hide what's within is what people would want to say that it's not that big a deal. Even to a point of almost deceiving themselves about what's really within. But ultimately, we really know what our condition is within. I mean, we have to take ourselves with us everywhere we go. We're, we, we, we know ourselves and we know what's going on inside. A fellow named Edgar A. West wrote a few words along these lines and they go like this. I have to live with myself, so I want to be fit for myself to know I want to be able as days go by to look myself straight in the eye. I don't want to stand with the setting sun and hate myself for the things I've done. Wow, as we think about being good and the peace of being good, a good conscience is very important. We to have this life of goodness, look, there needs to be a good conscience and we can have a good conscience. It's very important. We can't have a life of goodness without it. It's a tough world that brings tough things on the exterior. But inside, if we can have a good conscience, we can make it. Think about the Apostle Paul. Who was imprisoned. He was thrown in prison and his freedom was taken away. And his life was threatened to be taken away by execution. And what was it for? It was for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we're sharing. A, we just started a letter of Paul on Wednesday night. Ephesians. And he wrote that from prison. How did he not just survive in prison, but how did he thrive in prison? He didn't have to sit and think of some wrongdoing he might have done to get there. He did justly. He did what the Lord called him to do. He preached the gospel. And in Acts 23, 1, he says, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Living a life of goodness, when we get there, we have a sensitivity of whether we're offending God or not with what we do, with the motives of what we do, with why we do what we do, with how we do what we do. He requires that we do right, that we do justly. So we have a sensitivity to that. And that gives a clear conscience. You know, it's much better to have a clear conscience. Than a seared conscience. That's very important for our lives. For a life of. A life of goodness. Paul didn't have to wonder. About a life of goodness. You know you think about Adam in the garden. You think about Adam. And how he ran. And he I'll just say tried to hide from God. You know why he did that? He had a disturbed conscience over what he had done. You know, and we've hid from God before. Maybe in many ways. One one that comes to my mind, one that comes from experience, is prayer. We hide from God in prayer. Man, we can go to God in prayer. And we can, we can lay into talking to God. And we can talk to him so much that a word wouldn't get in edgewise if it could. We talk to him about what we want to talk to him about. And then we seal that envelope and shut it up with, in Jesus' name, amen. And we're finished with our prayer. And we know we're no better for it. We we know we have not prospered in that prayer whatsoever. Because we haven't talked to God about things that he wants to talk about. We've hid from God before. David. David. In his event with Bathsheba and Uriah. You think about that event and maybe terrible comes to your mind. Or horrible might come to your mind. But what about miserable? Can miserable come to your mind when you think about David? And after this taking place, how this event has echoed and echoed in his mind and within him after he had done what he did. You know, in the 51st Psalm, it's a beautiful psalm of repentance of David. But he knew before he wrote that, that he was forgiven. But it just went on and on in him. And it was, blot out my transgressions. Remove from my mind the memory of what I did to Uriah. And that idle time and the situation with Bathsheba just erased this from me. He was desiring as much as he could that this would be gone from his conscience. And, and look, it can be, but we're talking about how important a conscience is and how it pays to be good. We see the cost of doing bad and we think about the cost right now of doing bad. Hey, it pays To be good. It kind of makes me think of Proverbs 324. Proverbs 324 says, when thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou thou shalt lie down and thy sleep shall be sweet. I'll tell you what, a good conscience is better than any sleeping pill that you can find. A good conscience, It, it pays to be good. It pays with Peace. Another thought. Just another thought in this. It pays with perception. Because we are perceived by others. Others see us. And they see our lives. And it pays to be good. Because of the perception. See because it's not only about us looking within at the conscience. It pays to be good because others are looking on. There are others who are watching you and I. Our lives are. Are never left to ourselves. I don't even bother answering someone uh, in the family of God when they say, What I do is my business, because it's just not true in the family of God. You know, we always affect one another. In everything we do. And it's, and it's not that way. Others are looking on. We always influence others in one way or another. And that doesn't have to be negative. That, that can be positive. And we do influence others positively. You influence me positively so many times and lift me up. It pays to be good to do that. Because we're a good example. And we're a good witness to others. After I was saved... For two years, my dad made fun of Christianity. He made fun of it, but, but also he was pretty crude about it. You know, it wasn't just jokes, but he turned on the TV late at night and he saw TV preachers who were promising him something, something good. They were promising my dad that he would prosper if he'd send him in a little money. And so, I mean, he was confused. He was baffled by what was done in the name of Christianity and really tried to make me put on the brakes and see if I could reverse being born again. Praise the Lord. Let me just say, my dad was saved a couple of years later at 70 years old. But let me also say this he remained having many questions. And as a babe in Christ, he remained very confused because of the perception of Christianity that is put out there by some. It pays. It pays to be good. It pays with peace. It pays with perception. Because we always affect someone else. When a tree falls in the woods, most likely it's not going to fall just to the ground on its own. It's going to hit limbs of other trees and damage other trees. And it's going to take even more down with it to die. We always affect someone else. We strengthen or weaken one another by how we are perceived. And when we're good, let's, we're going to get to good. When we're good, it helps others. Most importantly, to be good pays with praise. Praise. Because it gives glory to God when we are good and when we do good, when we do justly. I mean, he's looking down on us. We ought to look up to him and we ought to look up to him reverent to him. It's like we ought to give him a piece of paper laid before us with our name, signed in commitment and say, God, you fill it out above it. Whatever you want from us today that we might do justly for you Lord it pays with praise to God we ought to let nothing get between you and I and our savior because doing good it pays and it pays well not only does it pay to be good though but here's we're going to go we're going to stoop down for just a minute Because the truth is, we delay to be good. We really do. We delay to be good. I'm not saying by choice. But it's simply because, and here's the truth, here's our pill to swallow. Because we're not good. We're we're not good. And that's not negative, demeaning preaching. That's Bible truth. The Bible tells us that. If we have never admitted or seen within ourselves that we are not good, when we have heard the glorious great news, the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we didn't realize that it's such good news because we are not good, I don't know how we were saved. We needed that wasn't just a little something Jesus did to go along beside us in our good lives and we can be successful. The good news of Jesus Christ is because we are not good. That's Bible truth. The Bible teaches it. Romans 3 10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. The rich young ruler went to Jesus and he said, good master. And Jesus said, why are you calling me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. And then there's the great Christian. I I guess I love to talk about him a lot. It seems like I bring up Paul a whole lot. Paul was an amazing servant of God. Man, he lived for the Lord. He he did so many things to live for Christ. He glorified the Lord in his life. Most Christians would say he's the greatest Christian that ever lived. Yet in Romans 7, he says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. So we delay to be good because the Bible teaches it so does history I mean look at yesterday's news look at news for the last decade or last century of the bad news you find and it's you can find it everywhere because people aren't good yet we have a requirement here to do justly to do good but the bible teaches we're not history does And our personal experience does as well. No one here had to teach their children to be bad. No one here had to teach their children to lie. Our kids could lie before they could talk. We were a kid once too, and I'm talking about me too, and us too, us adults too. But we could, we could. We didn't have to teach our kids to yank that toy out of their sibling's hand and say, mine, you can't play with it. What is that? It's it's just what we are. It's what happened from Adam that fell down to us in a fallen nature in and of ourselves. We're not good. There's a fallen human nature. So we delay to be good. And we've shared all this so that we can rise back up out of this valley onto the mountaintop and see the way to do good. Good. And we've already been in Romans 7. We've already talked about Romans 7 a little bit. Let's go down Paul's path with him. On the way to be good. For just a few minutes as we close tonight. In Romans 7 Paul had said. In my flesh dwelleth. Yeah go ahead and turn there if you want. Dwelleth no good thing. So Paul had to get to the place. That he wasn't good Before he can get good. Let me say this again. Paul had to get to the place. Where he admitted he acknowledged he wasn't good. Before he could get good. That's a step that everyone humbly takes before the Lord. And that we see in and of ourselves. That that is biblically true. There's good in the heavenly. But there's not good in the inherently. Now, I know the world tosses around the word good real loosely. But we're going to toss it around the way God would have us to use what's really good. Okay? And to visit this clear acknowledgement of Paul before getting to goodness. In Romans 7 there, Paul has said... For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good. I find not. Paul wanted to do good. When he became a Christian. He wanted to do good. But he found out that there was an inability to To be able to do it. Something that the Lord requires of us there in Micah. He was completely unable to carry out and to do. By the way, in Romans 7 here as Paul's writing. He has already been down the road to Damascus. He has already met Jesus. He has already been saved. He has already told the Lord what wilt thou have me to do. And now, after being a Christian, we enter into his struggle with him. Paul is having a fit here over wanting to do good, and he's not able to do good. And um, I mean, the things that he would do, man, they're good. But he finds himself doing the things that he doesn't even want to do anymore. He's having quite a fit and he's in a big struggle over this. I was so thankful to learn this as a young Christian. I thought I was the biggest hypocrite that there was. And you know, everyone else was just like me, but nobody was talking about it. And I'm sitting here going, man, I'm not like these holy people in here. What is wrong? And, And then we learn from Paul, right here. He wasn't able to do what the Christian was required to do by the Lord. And that's true of all of us. We can make a New Year's resolution and we can set out and aim to do some specific good for our life or someone else's life. Just something good in some way. We'll set it at 9 o'clock and by noon we've messed up that New Year's resolution. You know, we just, we have a problem with it. We must elude. To no natural goodness in and of ourselves as Paul did. There's no goodness in this world, in the lost of this world. You know, we want the world to change and we want to stand for something. And we want to demand that we see some change in some area. And we in and of ourselves are slanted in the way we're looking at that and, and, and feeling about it. And, and we can't expect good from those who aren't good. There's a way to get there. We're, we just want to push somebody in there in, in a different way. We must allude to no natural goodness as Paul did and include the dissecting of this miserable condition of desiring to do good and not able to do it. You know, there's something very interesting about Romans 7. I was I was taught this not long after I was saved because I was so miserable about this stuff. And so I was taught this and I was taught chapter 8 and I've taught it time and time again. And then... And then I just noticed something. It goes along with what I've always believed about Romans 7. But I just noticed something. And that is in Romans 7. 7 you will find like 40 personal pronouns that Paul is using. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and, and go there. And uh, let's look in verses. Where should we go? Um, uh, Romans chapter 7. And let's say 15. Verse 15 and look at these personal pronouns here for that which I do I allow not for what I would that do I not but what I hate that do I if then I do that which I would not I consent unto the law that it is good now then, it is no more I that do it but sin that dwelleth in me for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing Uh, verse 19 for the good that I would I do not but the evil which I would not that I do now if I I do that which I would not. It is no more I that do it but sin that dwelleth in me. And we could go on and on and on. And as Paul is going through and dissecting his miserable condition, you see all the personal pronouns, some 40 of them. You see some 20 times that he talks about the law of the Lord. And so Paul got saved. And what Paul tried to do that put him in such a miserable condition is that he tried to live the Christian life in his own ability in his own himself. In Paul, Paul was going to live the Christian life and he found himself to be miserable and and he was going to try to keep the law of God and he was going to live for God himself and he was determined to do it he wanted to do it he desired to do it and he found out that he couldn't do it but we see one name we see one name after all of these pronouns and all of the talk of the law we see one name at the end of Romans 7 and that is in the last verse and it is the Lord Jesus Christ Paul is thinking the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul found the solution for the fact of how he is not good and he wants to do the good things of God. He wants to do what the Lord requires of him. He wants to be good and he wants to do good and he couldn't do it on his own. And everyone needs to know that and everyone needs to see that, that we can't do it on our own, but we can find the solution the way Paul did in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ his struggle is our struggle and so he makes this grand conclusion this is the path that we are on the path that he was on Paul's path is that he went from a desire to do good to being in despair because he couldn't do good to deity being the answer of how he was going to do good See, we're too weak. We're too weak in and of ourselves. And we have to admit that. But you know what? We kind of need to tell ourselves sometimes that we're too strong. A lot of times our problem in our mind, it's not true. But our problem is we're too strong. It kind of reminds me of a story I read. I have some very old commentaries. And there's a man named Watchman Nee. And he tells a story about a man that was drowning in the water. He couldn't swim and he fell in the water and he was drowning. And there were several people standing there and they were watching him drown. And and they didn't know how to swim. Not a one of them. And a man comes up that does know how to swim. They add that, I mean, they're panicking. They're friends in the water. Do you know how to swim? Do you know how to swim? And he says, yeah, I know how to swim a little bit. Save my friend. Save our friend. He's drowning. He's drowning. And he walks up beside him. And he just watches him with him. He watches him fighting that water and hitting that water. And his head goes under and he comes up and he fights and he hits it again. And and this guy, this guy, his friends are going, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? Get in the water and save him. You're cruel. You are you are mean. What what's going on here? And he goes under, comes back up again. He's getting tired and he goes under and it looks like he's not going to come up. And the man jumps in. And he saves him right then and pulls him to the shore. And he was not the hero, okay? The, he was about to get jumped by about seven other guys for saving him the way he did. These guys thought, tr- this is told as a true story. They thought he was saving him reluctantly. Kind of like Jonah, in Jonah's business and the way he did his. They thought he was saving him reluctantly. And and he's about to get beat up. And he says, wait, wait, you don't understand. I'm not a very good swimmer myself. And while he had strength, if I would have jumped in there, we would have both gone down. But when he lost his strength, I was able to go in and to rescue him. And the process that we seem to have to go through, most of us anyway, we have to lose our own strength so that God Almighty through the Lord Jesus Christ can come and rescue us into living the Christian life for him. It's not in and of ourselves. Our struggle when we are struggling, if we struggle To do this, to do good. If we're struggling in the Christian life with our motive and our attitude. And what we do and what we don't do. It's because we're trying to do it in and of ourselves. And we are not allowing God to come in and rescue us. And give us this goodness. To enable us to fulfill his requirement to do justly. That's what it's going to take. We have to give up our own strength. And we have to quit trying. And we have to start trusting. Child of God. Put within you as a desire to do good for God. To live for His glory. And when you surrender to Him. not You're going to sweat for Him. But if you're not sweating in your own ability to do it. But you surrender to Him. And let Him lead you and work through you that's how the Christian life is going to happen. I had a conversation with a teenager this morning before Sunday school, and I said, I am not religious. I am not religious. Religion isn't spoken of in the negative sense. There's a positive sense in which it's spoken of in the Bible. Good old fashioned true religion. But it's mostly thought of in the negative sense because religion is doing for God. And relationship is God doing through You and I and us depending upon him for that required of the Lord that we do justly a life of goodness in Galatians 522. It says the fruit of the spirit is and there's nine things there and one of them is goodness. The result of the Holy Spirit, the person of the spirit dwelling within us is goodness, producing goodness in our lives. I told you we're going to be all over the place because I have to jump back to Romans for a second. Because as we looked at all of these specific words in this struggle of Paul that he had with the pronouns, the eyes and the me and the laws of the Lord, in chapter 8, that changes. The darkness of Romans 7 Ends in Jesus' name and becomes light in chapter 8. Look at Romans chapter 8 now. Just one more over where we were. And now where we had all all of this certain type of phraseology with personal pronouns before. Now he writes... There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but notice these words, but after the spirit for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of flesh, But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you that mortal body is the body that we're in right now and the Holy Spirit of God comes to indwell this body that we're in right now when we trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and the Spirit of God does what the word of God would have us to do through us when we submit when we yield to the Spirit of God do you do you notice the struggle, the answer to the struggle and what changed for Paul when he saw within himself his own inability and his own misery of not being able to live and do good in the things of God. The answer was thanking Christ Jesus is Lord and walking in the spirit. One of my favorite verses is Galatians five sixteen: walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You know, the, the you and I person, we, we just want to we would just lust for the things of the world. But the Lord in us will have us love the things of him. He has us love the things that we do for him and he enables us to live for him. It's what he does in and through you and I. We must trust in Christ and we must yield to the spirit to be good. The Holy Spirit has come to dwell within the believer so that we can fulfill this requirement to do justly from the Lord. He produces his fruit of goodness in our lives. It's the spirit of the Lord in us. It is not us. And and there has to be someone here that relates tonight that just maybe. You relate tonight to this struggle that we have to admit this struggle that we're in. That we can't do this in and of ourselves. We're not meant to, we're not designed to, it's impossible to. But what's impossible with us is possible with God. And there's no doubt that someone needs to drop their strong arm of effort tonight And lean upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That he might live through you. We're not going to last in and of ourselves in the work of God. It's a spiritual work. It's not a natural work. It's not for you and I of ourselves. It's for the born again believer. That the spirit might strengthen us to do these things. But then there may be some here tonight that say, yeah, I learned this long ago. You learned this when you were a baby Christian, and that was, and I learned it about 30 years before that. I I got you. I hear you in this. And I remember that struggle. You know, though I learned it, though I learned it so clearly, and it was more brutal the way it was told to me, what I was told that I was, was very, very ugly to hear. But it was the truth. Not of me individually, of all of us. I took it easy. I sprinkled a little sweetness on it compared to how it came to me tonight, okay? And the truth is, though, that's what we need. And the truth is, after being so clearly learned of it, I've regressed. I've regressed many times. I've found myself fretting and getting down or depressed or discouraged. And it's back to old me. Trying to pick up the spiritual reins and get back to this work again. We can, we can all do that. And that might be someone here tonight. You're tired and you're struggling. And maybe you have regressed tonight. Maybe you have. But God can bring you out of that rut. You know what else this fits tonight as we close? This can actually fit for the unsaved person here tonight because there's always someone around who's thinking in and of themselves quietly, I'm good enough to go to heaven. I'm so much better than so many people I read about in the news. I know I'm better than my family members, and I know I'm good in and of our in and of myself. And I just want you to think about that tonight if that's you online or if that's you here tonight. If we being saved, being a child of God, cannot do good deeds on our own, how would you do good deeds and of yourself in order to be accepted by God? And you're able just to bypass that cruel cross that Jesus died on for all of your sins and all of my sins. That's where salvation is so you must go to the cross to be saved it's kind of like the little boy that got lost in town and he was boohooing and and just crying his eyes out and somebody said can I help you he said I'm lost and I need to get home where do you live I don't know and he said but if you'll they called the intersection in town the cross He said, but if you'll take me to the cross, if you'll lead me to the cross, I can find my way home. Is there someone here tonight that needs to go to the cross? Not not it's just a good thing to do. You desperately need to go to the cross. That's where sins are forgiven. It's not in and of ourselves to rise above the bad that we've done we can't do that if we could then Jesus died in vain and we frustrate the grace of God but you'll find grace at the cross of Jesus Christ you'll find where that blood was shed is where your forgiveness is and you being able to be with the Lord for eternity it's what he did it's not what we do for us to go to heaven and it's really the same thing children of God after we become a Christian It's what he's going to do through us. It's not what we're going to do. We've got to lose ourselves, And we've got to find him. To fulfill this requirement. That we might do justly. Let us go to the Lord in a word of prayer. And you do business with God. and, And obey God. As he speaks to you tonight. As he speaks to your heart. Without words. Not audible. But. Whatever he impresses upon your heart, you do business with him, please, this evening. Father in heaven, Lord, we do come before you tonight. And we thank you for the goodness of your word. And I thank you personally as I look at a requirement of you to do justly. And you're speaking of your perfect righteousness and knowing I was completely unable to do it. I thank you, Lord, for showing me the way, showing me your son. And the person of your Holy Spirit living within me. And dear God, that's for all of us. That's the way for all of us. We can fulfill this requirement of you when we can have confidence in it as a child of God who depends on you. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us to a place Where we can do good that's accepted as good in heaven. In in our motive, in the act, in all that we do in it, Lord, thank you for purifying us. I thank you for the fires of life. They purify us, dear God. And through your son and through your spirit, you're taking us to a place of serving you in a way that's pleasing in your sight. Lord, I thank you that we're going to be pleasing in your sight. Because we're going to stand before you one day. In Jesus name. In your son's name, in your son's life. That's what you're going to see because he substituted for us. And we thank you for that. And if there be one here tonight who has never come to your saving grace. Lord, we pray that by faith. They would trust Jesus and be saved for it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may stand. stand. Page 423.